Let's say a prayer to open this morning. Jesus Christ, you are Messiah, you are Lord of all. For that we give you thanks, we give you praise, we lift our voices in adoration for what you have done for us, so gracious, so merciful, and so loving. We thank you that you are present here in this place, in this time, here with your body. We ask that you would open our ears and our eyes, open our lives to see and know what you are about here in this place. We thank you that you are present with us. It's in your holy name that we gather this morning. Amen. Go ahead and please take a seat. As uh, Phil mentioned, I am uh, here serving in place of Pastor Bob this morning. He is gone in Ethiopia. He's part of the Ethiopia trip. Please keep them in your prayers. Be praying for the, those uh, who are really being a light in that place and seeing what it's like to be in that uh, culture and place and time to build relationships there uh, and to bring the gospel in a new way there. So please keep them in your prayers. I am, though, uh, ple- uh, pleased to be here. It's my honor to be here. Last time I was here was a year ago. Uh, I had a chance to preach uh, then, and at that time I only had one preaching class under my belt. This time I've got another year and another couple of classes. So, for your sake, I hope that's good. Um, with Pastor being gone, I am in my second year here at Luther Seminary in the Twin Cities. Uh, Christ Church, you are my home. You are my church family, and I am glad to be home, and I am glad to be among family. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you from your, for your support from afar. I am the only seminarian to come uh, from Christ Church uh, ever in its history, and I'm honored and privileged to be brought up by you as a community uh, to really respond to the call that God's placed on my life. Uh, and so thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for the faith that you've instilled in me. Uh, one prayer request for you. Uh, my beautiful wife, Patty, and I will be heading off next year. Uh, having completed my second year, I will be heading into my internship year where I get to be a baby pastor. Uh, they send us off to be an intern, a, a baby pastor in a church. Uh, we'll be serving and working and, and, and preaching in that way in that time. And it's out on the West Coast. We're excited. We're going out to Washington State, to Vancouver. And so I uh, covet your prayers. I ask for your blessing over that uh, in, in the time to come. I'll be there for an entire year serving uh, before I come back for a final year at Luther Seminary. So just wanted to share that with you. Uh, when Pastor Bob called me uh, about two, three weeks ago, he called me and he said, Andrew, what do you want to preach on? What do you want your sermon to be about? And at that time, I was uh, writing five sermons for finals, and I had five papers. And so I was sitting there and I was thinking, yeah, I have, I have to do those too. And uh, I was trying to figure out a topic, and I was like, well, I'm writing all these sermons. I guess I'll just write a sermon with them. Why not? So this morning, if it's okay with you, we're going to write a sermon together. We're going to go into a text. I'm going to share with you some of the tools and the equipping uh, uh, skills that I've been given, and I'm going to share those with you so that you can also uh, feel empowered by them to do the same thing. Uh, when you open your Bibles. And I hope and I encourage that you open your Bibles uh, in the time in the, in the days to come. So, we're going to go verse by verse through a passage in the Old Testament. After we've gone verse by verse, we're going to take a step back and look at it in its grand scale, and its big picture, and try to figure out what, you know, what's the message of our sermon that we're trying to write. So, sound good? You ready? Okay, here we go. We're going we're to go at a good clip. 
It comes out of 2 Kings chapter 5. The story is that of Naaman. Naaman the layman. Some of you have heard that or remember that from Sunday school. The story is of Naaman. Verse 1. Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army. The Lord had helped him and his troops defeat their enemies so that the king of Syria respected Naaman very much. Naaman was a brave soldier, but he had leprosy. So who's this guy? Who's Naaman? Who, who, who is he? Well, it, it tells us right away in the very beginning he's a commander of the Syrian army. Okay, so this is a general. We're talking about a, a general here, right? No small guy. Uh, the Lord had helped him and his troops defeat their enemies. So he's a successful general. He's a skilled general. So that the king of Syria respected Naaman very much. So in that first little bit, we can already tell that this is a man of prestige. Right? I mean, Naaman's got it going on. He's got success. Right? He's a general in the Syrian army who, when you do some background research, you find, oh, they just conquered Israel in the past ten years. So he's a good general. He's done, you know, he's done well. He's, he's got a, a friendship, a, a respectful friendship with the king of Syria. Well, that's kind of a nice connection, don't you think? Uh, to have a king, a personal relationship with that king where the king respects him very much. This is no small person. And uh, he was a brave soldier, right? His reputation preceded him. His integrity, his skill in combat, his skill in terms of military success, even in politics, Naaman has got it going on. He has success. He has power. He has prestige. You've got to figure this guy's got wealth. But... What do you notice? He's got leprosy, right? So you have all of this incredible stuff. All of this huge, amazing success. I mean, it's got success written all over it. But he had leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease that deteriorates your skin over time. It actually kills the skin while it's still on you. It's pretty gruesome. You'll find it in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament. And over time, it's so gruesome that the skin dies and falls off. So it's an ugly thing, right? It's an ugly, ugly thing. Leprosy is this reality that counterbalances all of the success and, and greatness and power, right? All of that is balanced out by those couple words, he has leprosy. An interesting thing for you to note when I was doing some research on this, this is the longest introduction in the entire Old Testament to one person. This one guy has the biggest introduction in the entire Old Testament. You know, I'd like to think that's kind of important. All right, so if you got your Bible, circle that. This is big. This is important. This first verse really matters. Let's keep going. Verse 2, one day while the Syrian troops were raiding Israel, those would be Naaman's troops, they captured a girl. She became a servant of Naaman's wife. Sometime later, the girl said, if your husband Naaman would go to the prophet in Samaria, he would be cured of his leprosy. So we have this second character, a second figure for us. Who is she? She is a young girl. She's been captured. So she's a captive, a slave, a servant of Naaman's wife. Here's what, what, when I think about this, when I get into the mindset, what do you think this girl is going through? She's been captured and taken to a foreign land. By a foreign culture, she's just been surrounded, 
right? And, and there's a foreign faith there, right? But what do you notice? She's got guts. She's got guts. She actually gives a testimony. She gives a witness here. If your husband Naaman would go to the prophet in Samaria, he would be cured of his leprosy. She's not afraid to give a statement of faith. She's an important character in the story. So let's remember her. Verse 4, when Naaman told the king what that same girl had just said, the king replies, Go ahead. I will give you a letter to take to the king of Israel. So this, this girl's statement propels our story forward. Okay. So Naaman, he's got his letter from the king. And as we continue on, it says, uh, Naaman left and took along uh, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 new outfits. That's a chunk of change, if you ask me. I mean, that's a serious chunk of change. And, you know, when you say outfits, we're not talking like Levi's here. I mean, we're talking, you know, pristine, fancy, elaborate, right? He's bringing with him all of this elaborate and this wealth, right? And he also carried with him a letter to the king of Israel. It said, I am sending my servant Naaman to you. Would you cure him of his leprosy? So Naaman is more or less... I mean, he's, he's bringing his success with him, isn't he? He's bringing his wealth, his reputation, a letter from the king. He's bringing that with him on this journey. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in fear and shouted, The Syrian king believes that I can cure this man of leprosy. Does he think I'm, I'm God with this power over life and death? He must be trying to pick a fight with me. I like this character just because I, I feel for him, right? I mean, here this, this general shows up who recently in the past decade has destroyed all of your armies. He shows up with a letter, with all this wealth. I mean, he's got a little parade behind him, right? He shows, marches up to the king with this letter of introduction saying, you should heal me, I am Naaman, right? And this Israelite king has got to be thinking, man, you're kicking me when I'm down. I pay tribute to you. You've taken most of my money and my wealth, which ironically you bring back on your camels, it appears. Like, huh, you know? You're kicking me when I'm down. I can't, you're just trying to pick a fight with me. Oof, it's a tough spot to be in if you ask me. Fortunately, fortunately, we go on and we hear Elisha, Elijah, Elijah steps in. As soon as Elijah, the prophet, heard what had happened, he sent the Israelite king this message. Why are you so afraid? Send the man to me, so we will know the prophet. There is a prophet in Israel. Basically, you know, send him my way. Pretty simple. Naaman left with his horses, his chariots, and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Freeze! I'm a visual person, so I'm going to ask you to visualize with me. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 new outfits that are lavish, you got to fit some servants in there, some chariots, some horses. You know, he's got to have his guy who's, you know, his chief of staff has got to be there, a couple other courtiers, you know. This is a parade. This has got some real pomp to it. This has success written all over it. Right? And he pulls up to Elijah's door. What happens? 
This is so good. I almost laughed when I read this the first time. Naaman stands at the front of the door, and Elijah sends someone outside to say to him, Go wash seven times in the river Jordan, and you'll be completely cured. So the way that I picture this, right? Elijah's sitting there in his recliner, you know. He looks out the window, and he's like, oh, oh, it's Naaman. And then he sits back, turns on the Cubs game, leans back at the window, go jump in the river, and turns back to the Cubs game. Now, this is what I'm seeing, right? He's sitting in his recliner watching the Cubs game, and Naaman shows up expecting something, right? Elisha doesn't even have the courtesy to go to the door. He sends someone. Go wash and be cured. Well, let's read on. Naaman stormed off, grumbling. Why couldn't he come out and talk to me? I thought for sure he would stand in front of me, pray to the Lord his God, wave his hands over the skin and cure me. What about the Abana River or the Farpar River? Those are rivers in Damascus. They're just as good as any river in Israel. I could have washed in them and been cured. He's mad, right? This is a Syrian general who recently conquered this area, bringing wealth and power and prestige, a letter from the king. He shows up to the door of this prophet, and the prophet doesn't even come to the door. He doesn't say, come in, would you like something to drink? He doesn't have this elaborate waving of his hands and praying to his God and these rituals, and right? you got to figure, Naaman is picturing that he'll show up, there'll be some big hoopla dance where this foreign guy, this foreign prophet is going to dance around him, wave his hands, say some, you know, magic words, and he'll be healed. And then he'll be able to shower him with gifts, the same gifts that he had taken from the land, you know, the past ten years conquering. But he would shower him with gifts and success and that he would share that and he would be so benevolent. Wouldn't he just be benevolent in doing that? Right? I mean, you can picture this. Instead, Elisha, it doesn't happen that way. Elisha doesn't come to the door. Naaman throws a hissy fit. He's throwing a temper tantrum. Can you see that? He's grumbling and kicking stones. and I could have gone in the river at home. Unbelievable. Let's read on. Verse 13. His servants... Freeze. Come back to me for a second. Uh, Where else did we see a servant? Servant girl. Remember her from the beginning? Servant girl. She had some good things to say, right? (laughs) We liked her. She had some good things to say. Let's hope these guys have some good things to say. All right. His servants went over to him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, you would have said, sure, okay, no problem, I would do it, right? So why don't you do what he said? If it was, if it was hard, you would have done it. If he would have made it elaborate and difficult and done the dance thing and maybe some sacrifices and, you know, you could shower him with gifts and throw a party, right? If he would have done something big and costly to you, you would have done it have a little faith, go down to the river and cannonball. Right? That's what they're saying. Go down to the river and jump in. Have a little faith. Okay. Naaman has some wisdom here. Walks down to the river Jordan, listening to the servants. 
wades into the water, stoops down. What do you know? Seven times, just as Elijah told him, right away he was cured. His skin became as smooth as a child. Naaman and his officials went back to Elisha. Naaman stood in front of them, announced, Now I know that the God of Israel is the only God in the whole world. Come back to me for a second. Did you read that last sentence? Now I know the God of Israel is the only God in the whole world. That, that's a statement of faith. That sounds like the young slave girl, doesn't it? That's a moment of belief and faith. Now I know that the God of Israel is the only God in this world. That's a big statement. You know, we see how he follows it up? Sir, would you please accept a gift from me, some of the blood money that I have recently taken from you? I will now return to you and shower upon you. Like, really? Like, like, really? It, it reminds me of, uh, like, Peter, where Peter has the great statement of faith, you are, you are the Christ, you know? And then, like, puts his foot in his mouth, like, right thereafter, right? That's totally what's happening here. You have this great statement of faith, and right afterwards he puts his foot in his mouth. It could be just me, but I, you know, I feel for that. I echo that because I see that in my own life, right? There are times where I have a great moment of faith, and then my stubbornness... You know, I turn back to what I know. I turn back to what I'm accustomed to. I turn back to my success. Right? Interesting. Interesting. Fortunately, Elisha says, I am the servant of the living Lord, and I swear that I will not take anything from you. Why? Well, to accept something, to accept something, would mean that this is no longer grace. You see that? If, if Elisha would accept something, you know, if Elisha would accept 150 pounds of gold or 750 pounds of silver or 10 new flashy outfits to wear, it would no longer be grace given to Naaman. This would not be God's grace poured out on Naaman. This would be an exchange. And Naaman would walk away knowing that this was an exchange. Fortunately, Elisha says no. Naaman doesn't seem to get it. But that's okay. He keeps begging. Elijah refuses. Finally, he says, if you don't accept the gift, please let me take home as much as soil as two mules can pull on a wagon. Uh, someone pointed out to me after the service last that their Bible had a little note that says, uh, the soil is for building a, a, a altar in his foreign land. Right? He wanted kind of Israelite soil to build an altar in his foreign land. Sir, from now on I will offer sacrifices only to, to the Lord, uh, but I pray that the Lord will forgive me when I go into the temple of the god Remen and bow, my de- bow down there before the king, uh, with the king of Syria. Elijah, go home, don't worry about it, no big deal, Naaman leaves. What's happening here? Well, you know, he's a general, he got to stay employed, right? So he's saying, when I, when I got my king, my boss, and he's leaning my arm, he's old and frail, and I come walking into the god of Remen's temple, right? I'm just going to cross my fingers, put it by my back, and, and smile and bow, and not really bow, keep my head up. You know, kind of that thing's going on. Don't worry about it, Elisha says. Go home. We've gone through this part of the story, and 
we've looked at kind of the nitty-gritties of it, right? We've gotten in there, we've, we've traveled along, we've seen what's been taking place. And if I'm honest, I don't think that leprosy is actually Naaman's problem, right? I mean, leprosy really isn't the problem here. It's not leprosy, right? What do you notice about Naaman? Man, he is sure tied to that success, isn't he? I mean, he's, he is tied to that success. Power, wealth, connections. These are the things that he uses to define himself. And when it comes to God's grace, he has a hard time letting go. He, he has a hard time putting trust in something else. He figures he's going to go to this prophet, he'll throw him a party, and he'll get healed. Right? The reality is, it is not dependent upon Naaman's success. God's giving, God's love, God's grace is not dependent upon how Naaman is tied to his perception of success. Can you see that? I want to be clear. Success is not bad. You saw in the beginning, the very first, first verse, the Lord is the one who gave him success. Right? Success is not bad. The reality that we're trying to, to be sensitive to is where dependence on success is bad. It's a struggle. Where we, we think we can buy grace, where we think we can trust so much in our success that we can make deals or cut deals with God. I mean, how many of us cut deals with God? If I'm honest, I do. Right? This, this isn't to say that we aren't to give tithes or offerings. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is seeing that Naaman has an issue of depending upon success instead of having a little faith and walking down to the River Jordan. This week, as we kind of wrestle with this, as we meditate on this, think about this this week, okay? Take this, take this with you and think on this, right? We're doing this together. This is a group project. Thank you so far. You've been huge help in helping me write my sermon for next week. Thank you. How convenient is that? I have my sermon written for next week. Um, so this week, though, when we find ourselves slipping into a mindset like Naaman, where we look to our success to define ourselves, we have a hard time letting go. Not that that's bad. It's where we become dependent upon it for grace. So we need to remember that grace is not dependent upon that. God's grace is bigger than that. It is more pervasive than that. God's grace is free. His favor is for you. It is trustworthy. And he doesn't expect anything in return. It's not dependent upon you showering him with gifts. God loves you. And he gives to you freely. That's what we're going to ruminate on this week. That's what we're going to meditate on and think on, right? When we go throughout our week and we find ourselves looking to our success, take a breath. Remember the River Jordan through baptism. 
Remember how grace has been given to you. And take courage and have faith. Grace is for you. It is free. And it's not going to go away. Amen. Amen. Thank you for helping me write my sermon for next week. Um, You'll have to come back next week, I guess, to hear the sermon that we just wrote together, won't you? How convenient is that? I love it. Uh, Let's wrap up with a prayer and uh, get ready for some more worship, shall we? Jesus Christ, you give to your servants graciously and abundantly. You give regardless of our success or our failure. You pour out lavishly upon us. Forgive us for when we don't seem to get it, where we seem to struggle to realize how truly free your grace is. We trust that your grace is so pervasive that even as we stumble and bumble and fumble along and we slip into mindsets like Naaman, that your grace is there. The River Jordan will continue to flow. We trust in that. We trust in your word of grace and the fact that you give good gifts to your servants. It is in your holy name, Jesus Christ, that we pray and trust, knowing that you are the truest, most holy, and awesome gift that you gave yourself. In your name we pray. Amen.